So this morning we're going to be wrapping up a series that we began several weeks ago called God Blank Us. And in this series, uh, the, the goal has been to demonstrate that Christianity presents a unique relationship between God and humanity, uh, unique to any other religious system. So we started out looking at how in, in Christianity, Jesus represents God with us. Jesus is God with us to show us what God is really like, a God who seeks to, to save, to rescue, to heal, to restore. We saw that God loves us, that God loves us, and that God is for us, that God is on our side, wants the best for us. He is a judge that's not just impartial, but is on our side and has given uh, his own son on our behalf. And we saw that God, di God did this. He's for us because he loves us. And so today we're going to wrap up this series and we're going to look at what I believe is perhaps the most unique and perhaps the most significant aspect of God's relationship with humanity as revealed in Christianity. And we're going to, we're going to look at this by beginning with a... a um, statement from Jesus himself, a statement from Jesus himself, that he tells his disciples in the context of his imminent departure. He knows that his time on earth is coming to an end, that he's going to face death soon and then be raised from the dead and reunited with his Father in heaven. And so in preparation for leaving his disciples, he tells them some things, and we're going to begin with what he says here. John chapter 14, if you have your Bibles. If not, we'll put the text up here on the screen. Jesus says to his disciples, uh, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Then he says something remarkable. He says, my father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home, what? With them. So Jesus says that something's going to happen. In the context of his departure, he says, it's not going to be the end, because anybody who loves me will follow my teaching and my Father will love them, and we, me, me and my Father, Jesus says, will come to them and make our home with them. Now, this is a pretty huge statement coming from Jesus. And in order to understand the significance of what Jesus is saying, we have to understand the context of where he is. Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem in the first century A.D., in the city of Jerusalem, within eyeshot, right, maybe, maybe even within a stone's throw of wherever they are, there is this building, the temple, Herod's temple. The reason this is significant, because Jesus just said God and the Father and the Son will come together and will make their home with Jesus' followers. This is significant because in the first century in Jerusalem, if you wanted to go to where God lived, you would go there. You would have to go to the temple to experience the presence of God. And as a matter of fact, only one person once a year could enter into the Holy of Holies where God was believed to live. Now, they knew that God didn't really live there, but it was, it was symbolic. This is where God has chosen to dwell among his people. And only the high priest and only once a year could enter into the Holy of Holies to experience the true presence of God. And Jesus says, after my departure, something is going to happen. Something is going to change. No longer is God going to dwell in a temple made by human hands, but God is going to dwell inside of you. Looking back on this, we've heard this so often. It's so, it's so common in our language, but this was remarkable language. That no longer would the home of God be one particular building in one particular place, but that God would come to dwell within 
his people. Jesus begins to talk about something that he calls a comforter or an advocate, depending on your translation. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 14. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Jesus had been their advocate up until this point. He says, I'll give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. To be with you forever. Now, this is pretty significant. Jesus actually says, he says, it's better for you that I leave. Somewhere else. He says, it's better for you that I leave because if I don't leave, you're not going to get this comforter. If I don't leave, you're not going to get this advocate. Jesus says this advocate is going to help you and be with you forever. And this advocate is the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you will know him for he lives with you and will be where? In you. In you. This spirit of truth, which as we're going to see, is the spirit of Christ and the spirit of God that, God, that somehow in some, you know, the metaphysics of it don't make sense, but, but that God is in Christ and Christ is in God and, and, and together in the spirit of truth will come to dwell within the believer. The spirit of God will make his home will make its dwelling, will make her dwelling within the people themselves. Now, if this sounds strange to you, it sounded strange to the disciples as well, for them to, for them to grasp this concept. But, but wait, but wait, but God, God lives in that building. We have to come to Jerusalem to experience God, and that's only the high priest. What do you mean that God's going to live inside of us? It, it, it wasn't super clear to them either. They had questions about it as well. The Apostle Paul picks up this very same theme in uh, many of his letters. In his letter to the Romans, Paul says this. He says, The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Think about that. What does it take to raise a body from the dead, never to die no more? What kind of power does that take? The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you. The Spirit of the living God is dwelling inside of every one of us who calls Jesus Lord. I don't, I, I, I don't think we grasp the significance of that. That the God of the universe has chosen to dwell in our hearts. Here's what Paul says somewhere else in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple? You are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. And this is true both individually and collectively. God dwells in us as individuals, and God dwells in us as a body, as the church. God doesn't dwell in the temple in Jerusalem, and he doesn't dwell in the church building down the street. We often refer to churches as the house of God, but God doesn't live here. When we leave the building, God goes with us. Right? When, when, when we walk out, the Spirit of God goes with us. God's not just, we don't come here to meet God. It's not like God's waiting at church for us to show up. We bring him with us. And we leave, we take him with us. 
Everywhere we go, the Spirit of God dwells in us. This, there's nothing magical about buildings or sacred spaces anymore. What makes it significant is us and that God is dwelling inside us. And when we meet together, the Spirit of God is dwelling and at work among us. Both as individuals and as a body. So I know what you're thinking, right? So what? So what? What, what does it matter? What does all this mean that, that God lives in us? What, is, what does all that mean? And I think in many cases we have just, we've, we, we acknowledge that, yeah, okay, okay, God dwells in me. But we, I don't think we've taken the time to really grasp the significance of what it means to have the spirit of the living God dwelling inside of us. Here's what Jesus said would happen to his followers, to those who believed in him after his departure. Here's what he says, John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus says, verily, very true, I grew up on King James, verily, verily, I say unto you, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. Have you read the Gospels? Have you seen the works that Jesus did, how he went around healing people and doing miracles and, and teaching with authority and the wisdom that he had? Jesus said that after he departs, those who believe in him will do the same works that he does. That was Jesus' vision. And in fact, he says, we'll do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. This sounds unbelievable, doesn't it? Does it sound unbelievable that you can do the works of Jesus? This is what it means to have the Spirit of Christ dwelling inside of us, that we are empowered to do the works of Jesus. I'm not making this up, folks, that Jesus' own words, right? Straight from the lamb's mouth. And in the early church, this is exactly what we see. We see Jesus' followers, after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they go about and they do the same things that Jesus had been doing, doing the same works he'd been doing, demonstrating the reality of his resurrection through spiritual power. Here's how Jesus uh, told his disciples in Acts chapter 1. He says this is after his resurrection. He's meeting with them before his ascension. He's been raised from the dead, and here's what he says. He says, you will receive what? Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's this connection between spiritual power and being effective witnesses for the resurrection of Jesus. And apparently, his disciples believed this because when they received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they went about doing the works of Jesus. And it seems to me that Jesus did not just intend these words to be only for the first generation of his followers. It seems to me that the intention was that this was supposed to characterize all of Jesus' followers for all time, not just a select group in the first generation but that all believers should demonstrate the power of the resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of them. I think sometimes maybe we, uh, th those of us in more reserved Protestant traditions, we've overreacted to maybe the, the extreme 
Pentecostalism we see in other, in other things, where we see people who, in the power of the Spirit, do some things that make us feel really uncomfortable, right? And some of these charismatic and, and Pentecostal movements, we're like, oh, you know, that, that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. And so we, we've sort of just left the Holy Spirit to the side. And I think maybe we've, we've overreacted, we've forgotten the fact that the Spirit that dwells inside of us isn't just there to be dormant, just to sit but to empower us to live like Jesus. That's the purpose of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to some Christians living in the city of Ephesus, he he talks about his prayer for these Christians, and here's what he says. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your hearts enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his what? Power for us who believe according to the working of his Great power. In other words, what Paul is saying is, Paul's writing to a church, a church in Ephesus. He's saying, I'm praying that you guys would grasp the significance of what has been done for you and what lives within you. He's saying, guys, I don't think you really get it. I don't think you grasp the fullness of it. I don't think that you understand the significance of the fact that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in your hearts. And the immeasurable greatness of the power that comes along with that. It's power to live like Christ. We have the spirit of Christ. We've been given the mind of Christ so that we can live like Christ. This is significant, right? This was God's plan all along. That not would there, you know, when, when Jesus was walking around doing all sorts of great things, that was trouble enough for the principalities and the powers and the demons and the devil that rule everything. One Christ in one place doing these works was enough. God's plan was that the Spirit of Christ would not dwell just within one person, but that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, through the Spirit, Christ would dwell in every believer. That means that everywhere we go, we are little Christs with the power of Christ dwelling inside of us. How often do we forget that in our day-to-day life? It's, it's power to overcome sin. Romans chapter 8, Paul talks all about that. You've got the Spirit of Christ in you. It empowers you to overcome sin. You're no longer slave to your temptations any longer. We're no longer slave to sin any longer. Through the power of the Spirit, we are empowered to overcome sin in our life. So I've got a question. How would your life be different if you really believed that the Spirit of God lived in you. If you woke up every morning and you remind yourself, 
the spirit of the living God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within me, what would your day be like? What would your interactions be like? You get bad news. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, right? In comparison to the fact, hey, you know what, somebody cut me off, but I've got the spirit of the living God living in my heart. I, I, I think too often we tend to think of the Christian life as just, you know, Christians are just sort of nice people until we die and go to heaven, right? That's the essence of the Christian life. We're just, you know, we're just nice people until we die and go to heaven. And that's really what it's all about. But, but what, what, what Jesus and Paul and the apostles show us is that God chose to live in us for a reason, not just so that we can go to heaven someday when we die in this in-between time while we're just nice people. God has called us to a mission to transform things on earth now until Jesus comes back. That's why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? It's not just your will be done someday in the future, and until then I'm just going to, you know, be a nice person and not sin too much. The Christian life is supposed to be a life that's, that's characterized by spiritual power, on mission and, and, and witness. Now, I, I know that there are, there are places and groups and people who... who go off the rails with some of this stuff and the spiritual power stuff, and, and we rightly go like, you know, maybe that's a little too much, but, but I think we've overreacted. I think we've gone too far the other direction, and, and, and we've ignored the power of the Holy Spirit that's supposed to dwell in us, that God lives in us, that we are little Christs everywhere we go. How would your life be different if you really believed, if you really took to heart this idea that the Spirit of the living God is dwelling inside of you and desires to work through you to accomplish the mission of God in your sphere of influence, in your family, at your schools, in the places where you work, that you have been called to a mission, that I've been called to a mission and it's a mission that I'm capable of accomplishing because of the Spirit of God that dwells inside of me. I don't know of any other religious system that teaches that, that the Spirit of uh, the God who created everything and raised somebody from the dead lives within every believer. This is more than just God being with us in one person in a period of time, this is God being with us, each of us, every moment of every day. What would that do when we, when we start to feel lonely or, or scared or when we get some bad news? And we're like, okay, well, that's bad, but I have the Spirit of God living inside of me. And the Spirit of God is proof. Paul talks about it somewhere else as a down payment of what's to come. That it's proof of the hope that we have awaiting us in heaven. But not just to wait, but to get to work now. Doing the will of God, accomplishing the mission of God through the power of the Spirit of God.
that lives inside of us. Some days I go long. Today I'm going to go short. I'm going to leave you with that and we're going to pray. Lord, I pray like Paul that you would give us a spirit of wisdom, that you would give us revelation so that we can come to know you. God, I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart, that we would really be able to grasp the hope to which you have called us, that we'd be able to grasp and understand the riches of our inheritance. Father, that we would grasp, that we would understand, that we would appreciate the immeasurable greatness of your power for us who believe. God, I pray that we would come to understand that you have made your home within us. That we are the temple of God, individually and collectively. I pray, God, that you would be at work through your spirit in our hearts to empower us to overcome sin to empower us to live as witnesses for you. That you would help us to grasp and believe that, that the Spirit of Christ really is at home and at work in our lives. That we would allow Christ to really rule in our heart. That we would be Christ wherever we go. That people would see us, our love, our compassion, our generosity, and yes, even our power used as good. And that through us, people would come to see you and who you are and your great love and that you are a God who has chosen not to dwell in buildings made by hands, but in your people. Lord, may that reality inspire us and encourage us and may it provoke us and challenge us to go out from this place and to live for you as representatives of you with your spirit empowering us. In Jesus' name, amen.